In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the release of the regular season schedule, then dive back into the listener mailbag, going over how much we think P.J. Tucker will play as a small ball center, whether or not the Sixers can ascend to being a legitimately dominant playoff defense, projecting the overall offensive and defensive ratings, what lineups we think they will use to close games out, and our expectations for Matisse Thibel's offensive growth. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Now, Rich, I pulled you out of vacation. I guilted you into coming on this podcast. So how you doing, buddy? I, I apologize for that, but I hope vacation is going well. Derek, it's it's going well, and you know what? Who knows? If, Maybe if I, I buggy enough on Twitter, you'll even retweet this podcast out. Who knows? Well, look, don't don't get ahead of yourself, but... <laughs> Look, podcasting is easier than writing. So if you pull me out to uh, to talk to you for two hours and knock out a couple of podcasts here, that's uh, that's fine by me. All right, there we go. Well, the podcast for both this this episode and next week's episode, which will record at the same time, so which Rich can ignore me for the rest of his vacation. Both of them will be primarily, and trust me, when you can ignore me on on a vacation, that is always better. They will primarily be mailbags. We will, of course, talk a little bit about the regular season schedule, which was just announced here on Wednesday. You know, you and I were sort of talking about this in the week leading up, but we thought we 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 heard sources didn't quite have it confirmed that this would be an 82 game season. Uh, it turns out that was true. We should have ran with that fact, but they will play 82 games, Rich. I support your curmudgeon streak <laughs> on this, your sarcastic streak on this whole thing, because I mean, it really is. Analyzing the schedule, which, by the way, everybody does, so I'm not getting on anybody. We do it at The Athletic because there's nothing else to talk about. But it's like, you know, some parts of the season are hard. Some parts are easy. (laughs) Uh, There's some back-to-backs in there. They play on national TV a lot in the Sixers case. In the, the case of the Utah Jazz, they don't play on national TV a lot. Like, it's just, it's important for us. Like, I like to see where... I'm going to be. Oh, you know, sure. Like, potentially where I'm going like to it's travel. It's important for fans. Like you want to see the schedule. Well, yeah. You want to maybe plan out a road trip or what games Absolutely. you're excited for. I get it. What I don't get is like, hey, everybody in the media be sitting around here at three o'clock so we can all react instantly to this thing that is 95% predetermined. Uh, yeah, it is. It does very much. I, I've wrote about this very much feels like the NBA is trying very hard to make this like a random day in August appointment viewing event. And it's just, it's just not, it's a, oh, wow, that's nice. We've got the uh, schedule. I can plan my life accordingly. Uh, yeah. And that is about it. But we will now waste a couple minutes on this podcast because we are slaves to content. So I guess when you look at the schedule, there is one thing that jumped out almost immediately. And that is the back end of that schedule is very tough. Very, very, very tough. I have it right here. You had the Bulls twice, one home, one road. These are the final 12 games of the season. So you had Chicago twice, Golden at Golden State, at Phoenix, at Denver, Dallas, Toronto, at Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, at Atlanta, at Brooklyn. Now, with all kinds of caveats out of the way, a million things could change. A couple of those are back-to-backs for the Sixers. A couple of those are back-to-backs for other teams. A lot of teams could be resting players, gearing up for the playoffs, you know, playoff seating determined, yada, yada, yada. Some of those will be tough games. Some of those will be t- paper tough games. We don't really know how that's going to be until we get there. 
that being said, when you first looked at it, that was maybe the hardest stretch of schedule I can remember in a long time. Like you, I, I think I looked at it earlier today and I went by Vegas odds. You had like the first, second, third, fifth, eighth, 10th and 12th highest odds or best odds teams of winning the championship in that stretch. It's a very, very tough stretch with should be 12 playoff teams right in a row. I think that was my first takeaway. I'm sure that was probably your first as well. Yeah. And I saw the graph that uh, you tweeted out today, that guy, uh, Ed Kupfer, I think yep. his name is, if I'm saying that An wrong. Analyst with the uh, Houston Rockets. I, I apologize, but he does very good schedule visualizations online. And the Sixers have basically one of the sharpest strength of schedule. It just, it completely goes from the easiest schedule in the league to, oh shit, the the end is brutal. And I, look, if I had to bet though, all of those caveats that you mentioned, I think we're going to see them. Like if you're just simply trying to maximize the amount of wins that a team has, I would rather play the good teams late because you don't know if they're going to be good by then. You don't know if they're going to be trying. You don't know if they're going to be um, resting players or, sure. you know, trying to get the, the playoff positioning. Look, those games in, in April, they don't always suck, but they often do suck. No, and, there's sort you know, of a takeaway, though, that or a, a flip side of that is you don't get any of the tanking teams or the teams that have given up on a season. Uh, good like point. some of those, you can get some real slop games in there and some real easy yeah. wins. That being said, if you can take care of the easy teams or the, the lesser teams throughout the first, you know, five months of the season, and then you add in the fact that there could be a good team who doesn't really give a shit, whereas earlier in the year they probably would have given a shit. Yeah, there's a definitely a path where this could help the Sixers. There's also, also you a could path be where you could like, be sharper too coming into yeah, the playoffs no, too. Like, sure. I don't I don't know if that even matters. It's it's again we're yeah. we're talking about yeah. um we're kind of projecting potential benefits from this. I, I don't know. It's you're absolutely right. It's very odd that at the tail end of the season, it's an absolute murderer's row. There's just no getting around that, but I don't know exactly what it means. You know, you know what I remembered a, a couple of years ago during the Jimmy year, I think all of the writers, we, we were, um, we were eating ice cream in the media room before the game as we used to. Uh, they actually brought that back at the end of the year, which I know everybody, listening to this is very excited about that tip to Dave Schaller. Yep. And we were like looking at the schedule because that team was playing very uninspired basketball in yep. January. And we were like, the next month is absolutely brutal. They're going to get housed. They're going on the West coast. They're playing, you know, nuggets, warriors, all these teams. They're playing the thunder Celtics, all of them. They went like eight and four. And then it was like, Oh, they're just going to cruise to 50 wins now. So yeah, that's definitely a hard part of the schedule, and it's a little bit odd that the Sixers are uh, are doing that. Like usually, when you get Golden State, it'll either be in like February or maybe early March or in like December. Uh, that just hasn't happened uh, this time, so it's uh, yep. yeah, it's hard. The other main takeaway was how packed it was in March. Uh, Seventeen games in March, including four sets of back to back. You combine in the how packed it is with the amount of travel uh, because sort of like that period is when they're doing the most travel of the season combined with the, the toughness of the schedule. And yeah, they will be tested. And that sort of comes at a point where, you know, Joel Embiid historically has not always been the most available towards the end of the season where James Harden, you probably want to be managing his workload for that ha- for a player who has had hamstring issues here in the last couple of seasons. I think my one takeaway is not so much like, Oh, this is a tough schedule for the Sixers because I think by and large, a strength of schedule for the Sixers is below average. 
But my one concern is that if you look at it and you go, maybe they won't rest and beat Harden as much as you would otherwise want them to because they're gunning for a playoff spot. It just puts a huge onus on, you know, cleaning up there in the fir- before the All-Star break. They have to, they should be the top ranked team in the East before the All-Star break, give themselves a little bit of a cushion. It puts a little bit more pressure to do so there. But overall, it's a schedule. Like it's, it's, you play the other conference, teams in the other conference twice each. You play most teams, 10 out of 14 teams in your conference four times, remaining three times. That's the schedule. It's the way it is every year. 78 of the 82 opponents are the same every year. I do think we make too much of it, but that was also just a very, that was a very unique end of, of skis and schedule for sure. Yeah. And hopefully we won't be bitching about, we want the playoffs to come around because maybe we'll be like, all right, this is good. They'll actually be playing some good teams during that murderer's row Two two last thoughts that I have on the schedule. You mentioned that March uh, stretch. They have a back-to-back at Golden State and then at Phoenix. I'm telling you, that second game at Phoenix, that's a loss. You can just put that one on the schedule already. They're resting half their team, yeah. Yeah, I don't don't even care. That is one of the most brutal back-to-backs. I I mean, yeah, that's just... It's not going to be one that they're going to be trying that hard for. And uh, to go back to the people making a lot of the schedule... No, no offense to Chris Haynes. He's very good at his job. He breaks news. I thought this was one of the funniest tweets I've ever read. Atlanta Hawks will host the Orlando Magic on October 21st, which will highlight the first meeting between star guard DeJounte Murray and the number one pick, Paolo Banchero. That's uh, league sources tell Yahoo Sports. That's not like the league's next budding rivalry there. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that's, I think a lot of people, you know, get tipped off on some games before the season starts. And well, that's the other thing I don't get either. Like, okay, you got the game like two hours before who cares? Just wait until the whole schedule. Like I don't, uh, the whole hoopla over like a cup leaking a couple games at a time for a couple hours in a row until we get the schedule. It's just like, all right, whatever. Um, It'll be a fun first week though. The first game of the year, I think, right? At Boston. Yeah. Yep. I don't think there's going to be a game before that. Yeah. It'll yeah. be an interesting start of the season. I enjoyed the Sixers. They have sort of like a rivalry set of games the nba does yeah. and they included the nets and it's like the nets and the sixers have met each other twice in the playoffs in the last 40 oh. years and quite frankly one of them was a gentleman's sweep that nobody cared about now there are some extenuating circumstances here in the last couple of years that heighten the interest level in that game i get that but yeah. they are in no way a natural rival well yeah it is funny that yeah rivalry week you would think like the celtics but right. no they're they're playing against ben simmons and nikola Jokic, and that's what that whole week is which you know what? We, we talk about that jam-packed March. That's more like it's internet a nice rivalry week. week. Yeah, exactly. It's NBA Twitter rivalry yeah, yeah. week. Um, so, but, um, yeah, look, those will be two fun games on ESPN. There's only two games that week, too. Going to enjoy uh, not having to cover too many that week. So, yeah, look, it's uh, like like we said, it's a, it's a schedule. schedule. There's 82 games. We It's not like the NFL where even in the NFL, you know what teams you're playing against, but where some teams have drastically tougher schedules than other teams. It's not like that. It's nope. way in. Yeah. No, but it is not. It, the, but it's good to see where we're going yeah. and when it's happening. The oh, New Year's Eve, that's a bad one. Oklahoma City, that's bad. Christmas are you talking about Day, for the team or for yourself? For me. I don't care. <laughs> Christmas Day against the Knicks. By the way, why did the Knicks get to host that game every year? You know, yeah. I. I how about, how about they play that game at Philly? At least, at least a, that's a road dude. one. You can come up with an excuse not to travel, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I will probably not be traveling on that one. 
If you're interested, <sighs> the four teams, the four Eastern Conference teams that the Sixers only play three times are the Cavs, Pistons, Heat, and the Hornets. Then Black Friday when U.S. England soccer, big game. No, they're playing that day, too. Unbelievable. Thanksgiving week is packed. Christmas Day, New Year's Eve. Yeah. Anyway. Awful. Moving on to the mailbag, which, like I said, we'll do a couple here. We'll take so a break. Shouldn't we talk about the, uh, the oh, end yeah, of ben, the Simo era? There has been a resolution in the um, amount of money Ben Simmons will get back in the fines that the Sixers took out last year while he was returning to play, we'll call it. I don't know if I necessarily have a big takeaway on this, in part because they didn't, neither side disclosed the uh, the amount that was returned to Simmons, so it's hard to really know what to make of it. It would be interesting to know what that is, not because I necessarily care whether Josh Harris or Ben Simmons gets that money, because quite frankly, Josh Harris is obscenely rich and Ben Simmons is only really rich, so whatever. <laughs> it is interesting and would be nice to know for precedent reasons. And yes. whether or not that could dissuade future, you know, maybe some other star players who have four years left on their contract and might be uh, thinking might be of, on Ben Simmons team yeah, might be thinking of, you know, holding out. We don't know that. I'm not sure if we will know that. Uh, and that is a little disappointing. I, you nailed it. I, I don't really care about counting Ben Simmons and, and Josh Harris money. Now, I understand why some frustrated fans might care a little more about that. I, we're at the point now where I don't know this topic has been beaten to death and Ben has been off the team for a decent amount of time now. So don't really care about that as much, but yeah, I mean, if he got a lot of money back, that could be an incentive. It would be, it would be pretty ironic if Kevin Durant found out how much money Ben yeah. Simmons got back for that and use that as a reason to hold out from the Brooklyn Nets. But like I, the way Kyle put it in a tweet, um, here is my final Ben Simmons column, says the person who writes a Ben Simmons column every month. That's sort of the way I feel uh, about this topic. I don't care too much who gets the money. I do care about precedent. We don't really know it. So it's, uh, you know, I, I would say probably a little disappointing for most that Ben got some of that money back. But it's hard to really know how disappointed you should be because we only know that he got some of that money back. We don't really know the details. People, people would want, you know, Adam Silver to give him the... Uh the Willy Wonka, you lose speech at the end. You get nothing. Yeah, that uh, that did not happen. So, all right, moving on to the mailbag. This one from Shouting Street on Twitter. How likely is it they're looking at PJ Tucker as a backup center in small lineups that would have had Tobias Harris or Paul Reed at center? Um, he goes on to note that they didn't use either Harris or Reed at backup center all that often but it seems like it might be more of a thing now. Well, certainly in the, in the playoffs, it was more of a thing. Um, might've gotten in a little bit of a kerfuffle with the head coach about that, but yes, it certainly seems like it's more of a thing. Uh, and do you think that Tucker would take some of those minutes? I don't think he's going to take the minutes when Reed is playing. Right. I think if, if Paul Reed plays, he is a five. His shooting is not at the level it needs to be to play the four. Although, you, you could, and I've written about this, you could make the argument that if you pair P.J. Tucker and Paul Reed together, okay, yeah, Paul Reed is the center, but you might switch everything with that yep. group, which, you know, in the middle of the possession, whoever the center is doesn't really matter because you're all, you're all putting it this way. The way I, I look at those small lineups too, right? Uh, who are the players that could fit it? It's Harden, 
just because, and Harden's not a great defender, but he does play in the, he did play in those systems a lot in Houston and he likes to switch because he's a little lazy and he likes, <laughs> he likes to play post defense. So you have Harden, you have house, you have Melton, Tobias, Thibel, Tucker, and Reed. That's seven. I think if you, if you add them all together, I can't remember how many names I just said. So if Tucker or Reed is the center in that lineup, which I think you can survive with both of them, you can have a couple different combinations with that group. So, yep. And offensively in that lineup, you know, Reed would be playing the center and Tucker, the power forward. You can call them whatever you want. They can defend different spots, but because you only have one non-shooter in there, it might work a little better. I agree with you. And just from the fact that I, and I agree that if you're going to play small ball, you want to make sure everyone on that floor is switchable. That's why you probably don't put Maxi with that group. You probably tie him to Embiid's hip a little yep. more, but you want those minutes where Embiid's off the floor and Harden's on the floor without him. A little bit of switchable lineups there would be really nice. So that's why whether it is Tucker by himself without Reed or because you only have six or seven really switchable guys, you have both of them on the floor together. I think you could see some time where you have Tucker and Reed there. I think you could have to see some time where you have Tucker on the floor without Reed too. But yes, I certainly think that they could play a decent amount of small ball with Tucker. Whether or not that is Tucker officially being five, like you said, because Reed could be on there a decent amount of those minutes. I don't know, but I certainly think it's something in the cards for the right matchup and for the right, um, you know, availability who you have for that game. Uh, Yeah, no, look, Tucker has played super, super small ball center at a number of spots. I certainly think he will be used in that role here. I like how you put that now that we're visualizing it. Tucker and Reed, when they play together, normally your position, your one through five position is a defensive designation. For those, it's almost more of an offensive designation because Tucker is going to be the four with his feet cemented into the corner where Reed is the guy screening for Harden. And, you know, the other point I would make about those lineups, because it was also brought up in the question, and you also alluded to it as well, it makes even more visual sense with this team to tether Maxi to Embiid. And if Harris, you know, I understand he doesn't, he wants to run some pick and roll, but it makes more sense to pair him with Harden in part because he fits on those switchable lineups. Okay. You know, he can, he could play the four on those lineups and yeah, he's not the Jimmy Butler stopper, but is as far as like being one cog in a switchable lineup, I think he could be pretty good. And you could, you know, you don't even need Tucker when you, when you roll out those lineups, you could roll out Harden, Melton, House, Harris, Reed, and and be pretty switchable. I think Melton on a gigantic guy, I'd like to see. I'm not sure that's the right thing, but more or less, you could try that type of scheme and be okay with it. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's something we're going to see. But we, as we kind of mentioned on the last pod, I don't think you want to throw that out too much. I would rather see Reed play more backup center than Tucker just because you want Tucker to play with those starting lineups and he's going to be guarding the toughest guy. And he's also a million years old. So there's only so many things he can do during one game. Like when you start getting to my age, you don't call older NBA players a million years old. You say Look, that they're old for NBA players. Fair enough. But for me, all <laughs> of these guys are pretty much younger than me. So now that the Sixers have like an important free agent acquisition that's five years older than me. I mean, come on. This oh, is oh. one of the best things I've ever been a part of. Honestly, Look, buddy, I'm at the age where certain guys retire from the NBA and I definitely get sad because there aren't that many left. There aren't that. We're not going to go into how many, but there aren't that many left. <laughs> All right. So this sort of dovetails into the next question here, which is from, uh, where am I? Um, at T underscore. 
With the offseason additions, do you think the defense takes a step and becomes a legit playoff defense? Or are they likely to stay a step or two below that top tier defensively? So I guess we'll sort of like just clarify that maybe like a top five-ish defense somewhere in that range. Sounds about right. What do you think? Yeah, look, so if if you look at the top five defenses last year, Boston won, Golden State two, Phoenix, Miami, Memphis. I think Boston has better personnel than them still. Um, just all around, mostly because Boston doesn't have the two guards that you can pick on like the Sixers do. And Golden State is just a, when they're locked in, they're a monster. Outside of that, you know, when you start talking about like the Miami Memphis level, I think they can reach like a right around that Miami Memphis level and become a top five defense. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you have Cleveland Clippers, Dallas, Utah, Toronto. I expect them. <clears throat> and quite frankly, I'd be a little bit surprised if they're not at least somewhere in that four through seven range. Uh, do I again, do I still think they might have one or two extra pickable defenders than an elite, elite, elite defense like Boston? Yeah, I think they might be a step below Boston. But I think they can be hang in there with most other teams. And certainly when you start talking about Joel Embiid, you know, surrounded by a lot more good perimeter defenders and a, a real, I, I think what we just talked about here in that last, in that last segment where you could have a switchable lineup without Joel, when you factor those two into it, I think they should have, you know, fewer minutes where they're, where they nosedive as much when Joel Embiid is off the floor. I think they should be a top five esque defense. Yeah. Not, not could be, but like should be. Yeah. And, when you talk about being a step below Boston, that's what the numbers bear out as well. Like the Memphis Miami level, they were pretty close to that level. There's a bunch of teams jumbled up. That's why golden state and Boston. I mean, those were elite defenses. They kind of ran away from the pack in, uh, in that respect. So yeah, to so your point, from- the fifth ranked defense, Memphis, uh, 109.6. And then the 12th ranked defense was 111. So you had like, you know, seven defenses there that were within like a point and a half of each other. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I definitely think they can get better just because like you said, the acquisitions that they've made are they just got better players specifically on the wing. <laughs> they got much better players and yeah, the two guards are a problem. I think those two guards are going to limit them from being a top defense in the league. Like they were two years ago because Ben Simmons was just an important part of that. It's it was clear last year and yeah. So here's one question I have for you. Better offense or better defense next year? Sixers. I could see them being, if not top five in both, pretty close to top five in both. And I'm talking regular season Oof. offense and defense now, because I do think there is That's more a juggernaut if that happens. No, I think they're going to win a lot of fucking games next year. <laughs> and I'm not going to say that they are a top five playoff offense, because I have some questions about both of their two key cogs in the playoffs. Um, I think it becomes harder for both of them, but in the regular season, I think they are going to carve teams up. I say they end up being a better. Hmm, that's a good question. My head says offense, but they've also, it's very rare that this franchise has actually reached the offensive heights that we expect them to. Even with Harden last year, they were only 10th in those la- in that last little stretch of the season. Really? Now, in um, in fairness, you know there was some weird games like like we talked about with the schedule early on. Harden wasn't playing in all of those games. Felt like a little bit of a lack of interest. But yeah, they were only only tenth for that last little stretch of the year. I want to say offense, but I'll say defense. By the way, that was mostly like backup units lowering them. If you yeah. remember that, like the when Harden and Embiid were on the floor, they were breaking the scoreboard. So 
It, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, so what'd you end up saying? I think I ended up saying defense, but I keep going back and forth in my head. I just keep seeing that. I think pick I honestly think they both, Harden and they should, like both squads should be somewhere in the fourth rate range, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And last year they were both around 10, so they didn't really have an elite defense, but you know, a decidedly above average offensive defense that gets you 50 wins. That's a good team. So if you're in that four to eight range for both of those, that's like, we're talking juggernaut status at that point. No, I think you, you shouldn't squeak out 50 wins. I think this should be like a 55 win team. Pretty mm-hmm. assuming health pretty easily. That's what it would be if they got there. Again, I have a little bit of concern over some of that offensive success translating in the playoffs. And I think Joel Embiid is a slightly less impactful defender in the playoffs. So I think there are, are still concerns. I don't have them as a title favorite right now. I don't have them in the top two or three, or I have to think about it a little more, but I don't have them as the top tier title contender. But I think regular season, they should murder people. Uh, all right. So this one here from SPC, Florida. With all the concern about P.J. Tucker's three-year contract, assuming we'll get two years of productive play, productive play from him and he uses his third-year player option, couldn't the Sixers do something similar with him that they did with Danny Green? Basically, what he's saying is trade him coming into the final year of his deal uh, to get a new role player. So I, I guess real quick, PJ Tucker, his third year is a $11.5 million player option. I can't imagine a scenario where he declines that option at 40 years old, uh, but it is theoretically a player option. Man, there's going to have to be a, uh, a Balco. going to have to really kick our ass if he's declining $11.5 million. Or a Balco investigation of some sort. That would be, yeah, yeah. Yep. he, that would be incredible if, if there was a market where he declined that. Uh, yeah. Could they potentially do that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, obviously when you did that with Danny green, you weren't even trading Danny green. You were just trading his salary slot. I know he talked about being ready, you know, around the all-star break and, you know, there is some hope, you know, from some people in Memphis, like, but everybody everybody knew if the Sixers didn't trade Danny green, they were going to cut Danny green. Like they weren't going to guarantee his temple. So like there wasn't any rush to, acquire him in that to be a, a a player um to acquire him as a player just as a contract so i think to answer your question could they potentially do that with pj tucker yeah if they're willing to attach a pick again for yeah. that player. although if you've looked i don't know if you've noticed they don't have all that many left no. and in a couple or more months or a year they might have even fewer so it's 24. do they no they don't have that pick 25 yeah. no so. they can't trade a pick until 2029 well they can trade it on the night of the draft. Sure, sure. That's true. Which That's is true. what this was, the, yep. essentially. I know nope, it was probably agreed right. to before. But they, they can't trade that pick. Well, maybe it won't. Um, I forget the protections on that. Oklahoma City one is, hopefully the Sixers are still good at that point. So yeah, may, maybe there is a chance they're able to uh, to trade that pick on uh, on draft night. So yeah. Coming into thought. the final year of Tucker's next contract would be what? I'm trying to do math in my head. That would be the 2024-25 season. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, so I was adding, I was adding the, the third year. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they have that one. They could do that. They yeah, that they one. have that one. Yep. So, But like you said, it would have to be after the draft where the Sixers select the player and then trade him because of weird NBA rules. Uh, all right. So Look, moving- look by the way, if, if Daryl Morey is the market inefficiency where David Roddy somehow gets you a uh, D'Anthony Melton, who we know is a good NBA player and the league doesn't catch on to it at that point. Yeah. I, th- I think you would be wise to probably do that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I agree. 
As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited commercial offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager little different of a spin on this one this one from dan do you think you and i could score more points and a two against one against a Jaden Jaden Springer sized Joel Embiid or a Joel Embiid sized Jaden Springer, skills and athleticism stay the same. I mean, this put me in a pretzel. I don't. <sighs> so here's here's the problem. It, it is us scoring more points, and as much as we will get on Jaden Springer, he's still a really good defender. So if you give him Joel Embiid's size, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. Here's probably the truthful. Uh, no, I think I think that's the right answer. I think I think it probably put, is too because a Joel Embiid sized Jaden Springer probably isn't scoring that. Well, I mean he's going to score a lot of points. Is this what, just us scoring? No, well it's it's I think it's how many points could we score until the NBA player gets eleven. So it's like how many points would we score in a game to eleven? Gotcha. So we would have to defend them too. I I will say a Joel Embiid. Uh, Joel Embiid in Jaden Springer's body. That's a pretty skilled and very yep. good athlete. No. Uh, and I think he that scores guy, 11 points on us very quickly. Yep. Jaden Springer doesn't is, have a ton of skills. If, I don't know if we score any points against either one of them, so it might not matter. Yeah. I think we probably have a better chance against the small guy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like if we're, if we're playing two on one though, we could just pass the ball around the perimeter and then I take a jump shot probably because they can't, he can't guard me at the three point line. Right. Because I could just pass it to you. Sure. Uh, now would that work when, am I making my shots? I mean, the that fact day? that it is, a, is a two on one game and not a one-on-one game is, is probably because if it's a one-on-one game, you and I aren't probably aren't scoring a single point. No. And I assume this isn't make it, take it either. So we have 11 chances to score because they're, the person's probably just going to score on us right away. I would imagine even Jaden Springer and Joel Embiid's body, like Joel Embiid's body is he's uh, okay. He's, J- Jaden Springer on Joel Embiid's body in an NBA game. That might not be so great no. against us. He's putting yeah. us in the fucking rim. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, you know what though? I think with the two of us that now that I'm thinking about if it was one-on-one, I would rather play the smaller guy. Cause maybe I'd have a chance. 
But I think if it's two on one, we station ourselves basically at the three point line and just pass. And that person can't chase us. So I, I wouldn't want Joel and being Jane Springer. Jane Springer like could chase us down. And Jane Springer is really athletic too. He's, He's unbelievable. Really yeah. And then in, in playing in a one on two disadvantage situation, I wouldn't want that. But uh, I would really like to see what Jaden's like Joel Embiid's skill level in Jaden Springer's body like yeah. that. It's probably like a 30 million a year player in the NBA, even without the height. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Joel Embiid good at basketball. No, um, I, I will accept your answer. I think it's probably the right way to go. Either way, we're getting smoked. Uh, this is not the Ricky that we're talking about. Slightly different competition. Um, all right. It's a, it's a great question, though. It is. I like the hypotheticals are always fun like that. Um, especially when we'll get our ass kicked. This one from. Reminded me of Space Jam a little bit, you know, like with the, you know, the aliens getting the, the NBA players talent. Sure, sure. Monstars. Sorry. Uh, all right. So this one from Max B. How do you force that? How do you foresee the Sixers closing out games defensively, specifically against elite wing players? He notes that Harden, Maxi, Tucker, Tobias, and Embiid feels a little bit too slow. Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, and, and I guess what was the question here? Just one possession defensively, like they're up. No, close, two closing out games. Stop. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't. I didn't interpret that as one possession, but it's a fair question because then you have to factor in offense too. I think the default will be that group. But, yeah, because you're worried about offensive productivity too. But on a one-stop thing, I think you could see Tobias subbed out on occasion. Absolutely. Bring in someone like Melton, depending if you want to get ball pressure in there, well, or Matisse. If well, you, wait, if it's if it's a one-stop. Matisse is probably going to be on the floor. Yeah. You're getting at least one of Harden or Maxi out of the game. Sure, sure. For one stop? Yeah, yeah no, you're absolutely on. right. You're absolutely you might right. get both of them out of the game, honestly. Yep. But yeah, I mean, I I think what he means is how are they closing out the game? And these are my defensive concerns, which I think are fair. It, it does yeah. feel a little bit on the big side. We have talked about their, their lack of kind of true wings, true small forwards. They have house and Thibel, but those guys are not in that, uh, that starting five right now. Tobias is probably the likeliest. Yeah. It's, it's, what do you say? it's a good distinction. Tobias likeliest on, um, Tobias the likeliest to come out to close a game, um, but Maxi or Harden likeliest to come out for one possession. I think that's probably fair. Uh, and whether or not that means Matisse or whether or not that could mean the Anthony I think Mountain, how, House. House sure. probably depends on, again, the closing out a game or one possession distinction. Because I think Melton might be a little more useful closing out a game overall, whereas Matisse or House a little more useful for a one possession stop. Although House, yeah, just, if he's playing, if he's shooting well and sticking to his role, he could he could be useful in a role player role too. I just worry about playing Melton with those two guys if you're sure. just you're you're a little too small. And that's part of it too. It's it could be very lineup and matchup dependent for sure, for sure. I I think there's a chance that Daniel House is a super important part of this team just because he's good. He's theoretically good at both sides of the floor. So and he and he plays the position that the Sixers need to play the most, by the way, uh, you, I think Tobias is the likeliest, but PJ Tucker is right behind him. If it's, sure. if he's just not having a good game, like the, the same guys we're talking about could slot in for him. And it's, it's easy because PJ Tucker plays essentially the same position as Tobias. So could see that as well. Maybe, maybe the team has an elite guard scorer, So maybe Melton gets into the game or something like that, but 
that's uh, the three guys who I would tend to see on the floor at at the end of games, like who I think you're definitely going to see are the obvious ones are Harden, Maxi, and Embiid. The other two are a little more up for debate. All right. One more here, and then we'll close out this portion of the podcast. This one from Bert. Uh, nope. I'm sorry. This one from Jonathan. Uh, what do you think is a safe expectation for Thibault's offensive growth this year? Do you think he can make progress there and not be a liability on that side of the ball? Or is that wishful thinking? I mean, I don't know. I think what I would say is my expectation would be that he makes no progress and be pleasantly surprised if he does. Hasn't And look, I, we talked about this a little bit last year. There's some talk over whether or not he was cutting better. I think it was probably mostly that he was getting rewarded for his cuts more because Harden was on the floor. Either way, that's not going to be the primary driver on whether or not he can actually be playable offensively. He has to make shots. He has to make people guard him away from the basket. He has to not let his defender sit in Embiid's lap or pinch down on Harden on those drives. He's not going to do that if he doesn't make shots. He needs to be a better, more effective, more consistent, more capable shooter. And do I have confidence? No, why would I? He's gone three years and not really gotten better as a shooter. He's not super young anymore. He has not made progress as a shooter, so I wouldn't tell you to expect anything this year. It's If he does, great. You're surprised. Um, I would keep my expectations in check. The cutting is such a regular season thing. Yeah. It's... When you're dot. playing against the Knicks, yeah, it can look great. When you're playing against the Heat, it's probably not going to be there as often. And you're just playing against a team that's in the middle of the season. They don't have a full scouting report on you. They don't get to play you over and over again and hone in on those weaknesses where, and and I think doc rivers is like the perfect example of this too. Like he talked about, you know, man, Matisse is cutting. All you guys talk about is is his three point shooting. Like, look at what a great cutter he's, he's become. Well, doc, that's fine. He is a good cutter, but when the playoffs rolled around and those cuts weren't available, I can just judge by what you did. And yeah, you had yeah. a very short leash for him. Very quick hook. Yeah. That's what all. Doc Rivers says and what Doc Rivers does does not always line up. Not always. By the way, I. No, he should think, talk up his player in the regular season and then he should play to what he has to do in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. And I, it's one of the few things where I, I don't disagree with how he handled say, <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I just don't believe you. And not we, even like maliciously, like you, this is what you have to do as a coach. It's like, it's to, like when Daryl like tells Shams like, Oh no, we'd never trade Ben. Like we know Daryl's full of shit. We're not really actually buying that. And he just has to say it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you have to lie to us. We get it. All right. Uh, I think that will close out this portion of the podcast. Rich, don't go anywhere because we will record the rest of this here next week's podcast right now. Um, but you guys will hear that magic. At a later date. So thank you, Rich, for jumping on. And I will talk to you in a second. Talk to you in a second, man.